Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this opportunity to worship you, Lord, of this day in which we find ourselves able to draw breath and our hearts are pumping blood, Lord, and our minds are active and quick. And we thank you for bringing us into this place and giving us voices to praise you. Lord God, thank you for the beauty of your holiness, the beauty of this place, the beauty of this world you have placed us in. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us today. Speak to us through your word in the scriptures, through your word proclaimed in the sermon, through your word in flesh in Jesus Christ that we receive in communion. And we pray, Lord God, that you would draw us into a deeper and more profound relationship with you. Help us to lay aside the cares and the anxieties of this world. Lay them at the foot of your altar, Lord, and to take up from you your yoke of faithfulness. Lord, guide and direct us all to a closer relationship with you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It's so great to see you all together today and together. Um, well, I brought with me my prop for today. It's probably the tastiest prop I've ever brought to church. And this was a dessert that my wife Tara made for our staff and vestry party that we had at our house on Friday night. And it is a layered dessert. If it's hard to see in the back, there's, there's four layers here. The, the top layer is white and it's panna cotta which is like a cooked cream. It's an Italian um, dessert, and it's made of like vanilla and sugar and gelatin. And the next layer is a cranberry ginger layer, and it just keeps alternating. So the panna cotta, cranberry ginger. <clears throat> and, uh, and you can eat this, if you're a perfectionist, you can eat this layer by layer, right? You can scrape off all the panna cotta and then get to the cranberry ginger layer and scrape that all off. Or what else can you do? You just go all the way down to the bottom, right? You can plumb the depths of it in one scoop if you'd like. Each way presents different flavors and tastes to you. Each one is beautiful in its own way and unique, but each one is a separate experience. Now, the way you make this is you have to be very intentional. You have to give yourself enough time, right? Um, you have to let each layer set before you, you put on the next layer, right? And so it has to be planned. And it has to be... Um, well-directed and organized so that it all goes in together and you have it on time, right? And you don't end up with something that's just kind of pink. <laughs> you can tell my wife did it because it's all very clean and well done. It would be a slush if I did it, right? A slurry. But I think that idea of levels and that idea of preparation and planning and organization, I think that um, our gospel passage for today ties in with that idea that idea of those layers and a plan. In our gospel passage, we're taken to the River Jordan where John the Baptist is doing what? <laughs> Baptizing. He had some smart parents, right? That named him the Baptist, you know, because they, they knew exactly what he was going to be doing. Smart naming. Uh, now, according to Matthew, people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem were coming there to confess their sins and to be baptized. Jesus comes too, and he comes from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But this creates a little stir, right? Because John sees Jesus coming, and he's taken aback. 
And our passage tells us that he would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Because John, when he sees Jesus coming, knows several things. The first thing he knows is that Jesus is righteous and pure and holy. And what's the second thing John knows? That he's not. (laughs) Right? He's not. And so he sees Jesus, the Lamb of God, coming, and he realizes, wait, things are in the wrong order. I need to confess and be baptized by you, but here you are coming to be baptized by me. And in particular, does Jesus need to confess of anything? No, he doesn't, right? So it's kind of an interesting thing. And so John's like, why are we doing this, Jesus? And Jesus says, it needs to be done. It needs to be done. It's a part of the plan. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. This needs to take place. And Jesus, one of the cornerstones of his ministry was that he fulfilled all things necessary for righteousness. He did the things that needed to be done to save for himself a people. And so John agrees. John's like, well, I can't argue with that. And so he agrees to the task of baptizing him and baptizes Jesus. And as Jesus is coming coming out of the waters, as he is uh, getting the water out of his eyes, he looks up and suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. The heavens were opened to him. Can you imagine what that's like? Imagine coming out of those waters, blinking away the water of the Jordan River from your eyes and seeing the heavens open to you, seeing the throne room of God there, and then seeing the Spirit of God descending like a dove. This moment, almost like the beginning of the world in creation, right where the Spirit hovered over the waters, Now we see the Spirit hovering over the waters, but not only hovering, but coming down and alighting on Jesus, landing on him and remaining with him. Then we hear the voice of God the Father from heaven say, this is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. So the first part of this is the identification of Jesus. That he is God's son. This is my son. Next we hear that he's loved. Because God the Father calls him the beloved. I love him. This is my son whom I love. And the third thing we hear from the Father is his pleasure with his son. With whom I am well pleased. Who doesn't long to hear this from your father? Who doesn't long to hear this from the people you care about in your life? That they, they, um, they're willing to share their identity with you. They're willing to express their love for you. And they want to express how pleased they are with you. And this is what we see God the Father do for his son Jesus in the Jordan River. And just like that, though, the passage is over. 
As soon as it began, the moment has passed. And the next thing we know of Jesus is that he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and to fast. Now, this is a remarkable story, this baptism of Jesus account. But it's even more remarkable uh, when you think about the layers that this story is a fulfillment of. Because there's several times that this Jordan River has been pivotal for the Israelites, and several times that they've gone through these waters of the Jordan River. And I think it might be helpful for us to look back at some of those moments now. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is three, I think, highlights. The first time that we'll look at is when the people of God, having been delivered from slavery in Egypt and brought out by the hand of God and led through the wilderness and given the Ten Commandments and identified as his people and then promised this land and led to this land, they crossed through the Jordan River on dry ground. Now, there was a reason they had to cross through on dry ground. Anyone know what that reason is? Because it's dangerous to walk through a river, right? It's dangerous. And they needed God's help and protection. Because we're told that when they crossed the river, it was during harvest. And during harvest, the Jordan River is at flood stage, the passage tells us. Right? And we all know that when a river's in flood, what do you not do? Cross it. That's right. You all are smart. You've listened to your river safety. You're, you're safe at the Yuba River. We, are, we know it's dangerous, right? There's always someone who, who dies in our river, even though it's such a beautiful place. And God didn't want the same to happen for his people, especially since there were such a large cohort of them. Surely if they had crossed in the water, even if they had formed human chains or done all kinds of stuff, someone would have been washed away. And he wanted everyone to make it through those waters. And so we're told in uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 3, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So we see God here protecting his people from the raging waters of the Jordan River. He stops the water with his Ark so that they can move through in safety and enter the promised land, enter into that land they had been promised, that land of, of bounty and plenty, that land of um, where they would be seen as God's people, a light on the hill for him. The next time um, that we'll look at when people cross the Jordan River is when Elijah and Elisha cross over the Jordan River on dry land again. And do you know what they were going to go do when they crossed over that river that time? Well, Elijah was about to be taken up into heaven. And how was he going to be taken? Chariots of fire. That's right. Dun, 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 dun. And so they were singing the song. And they came to the river. And they stand by the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak. He rolled it up. And he smacks the water. 
which parted to the right and to the left. And so the two of them crossed over on what? Dry ground. That's right. You know the story. They were on their way. They were on their way to the place where God was going to take Elijah up into glory with him, where he was going to take him into the true promised land, which will never pass away. That was the moment that God led them through that river, was to take Elijah up into glory. Now, the next crossing we have happens actually later on in the very same chapter of 2 Kings. And it's when Elisha is returning. He's coming back into Israel, and he now has the ministry of Elijah upon his shoulders. He has the cloak of Elijah, and he is going to be a prophet to beat all prophets. I mean, he is just this profound prophet of God. And he comes to that Jordan River, and he takes up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he stands on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. And he came into Israel, and as soon as he came in, the other prophets who were waiting for him could see that he was different, could see that that ministry and power of God was upon him. And he served the Lord faithfully in the land of Israel. He had come into the promised land transformed. Now, in these three examples of crossing the river on dry ground, we see the people of God being protected from the dangers of the rushing waters of the Jordan River by the hand of God. We also see that in these passages, they're all going into something new, something different, something transformed. They're all changed through this passage. Right? The Israelites come into the promised land and it becomes their land. Elijah and Elisha cross over the Jordan River and Elisha is, take, or Elijah is taken up into glory with God, enters into that true promised land. Elisha comes back and he is now a transformed person, clothed in the mantle of Elijah, clothed in glory and power. But they all needed God to protect them on that journey to get them through those waters which they could not pass through on their own. But with Jesus, everything changes. When Jesus comes to the Jordan River, he doesn't need to part the waters. He doesn't need the waters to be held back so that he can go through on dry land. No, Jesus goes straight into the waters, and he is buried down underneath those waters, down to the very bottom of the river. And when he comes up, everything has changed. Everything is different. Jesus is baptized and makes the waters which had signified death before, he makes them into the waters which bring life and transformation, and new creation. And the waters become in a very real and true way for all those who enter those waters with Jesus. They become the path to the promised land. The way that we enter into transformed life and eternal life with our God. 
And so this passage about the baptism of Jesus is a lot like this dessert, right? Delicious. And there's layers. There's so many layers, and we can look at each one of those layers and see the hand of God at work. And we can see the planning, the forethought, the knowledge, and the understanding of God, that he has a plan at work. We see it in the words of Jesus, where he says, it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. God has a plan, and we must fulfill it. And thanks be to God, Jesus did fulfill that plan. And it is by his fulfillment of the plan that you and I are born into this new life. We are born again and made new creations. We are buried under the waters of baptism. And our old life dies. Our old self dies. And the new life comes out. Each of us. We also are like this dessert too. We're creation of layers of experience. Pain, hope, resurrection, joy, life, redemption. God has made us like this as well. There's so much inside each and every one of us that has made us the person we are now. These layers of our lives are all taken into the waters of baptism by Jesus as well. And when we are buried with him in that baptism, he washes us clean and redeems those layers so that they become a blessing for others. We become transformed people, a new creation in Christ, and his righteousness clothes us like that robe of Elijah, the cloak of Elijah. And so if you have been baptized, your story is now one of the layers of the story of Jesus as well. Your story has been written into his story or his story into yours. And so this week, this week and every week hereafter, let us live like new creations and see how God is weaving his story into our lives. And I hope that this week we'll spend some time, some time thinking about our story, thinking about those layers God has written into our life and the way that he's redeemed those layers, right? Our story could easily be a story of brokenness and failure and neglect, all those types of things. It could be a sad story, but in Christ, it's a redeemed story. It's a story of life and transformation and deliverance. And as we remember our story and think upon it, let's share that story with someone else so that through the hearing of God's faithfulness to us, they might hear about God's call to them in their lives and they might be a part of his story as well. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, thank you for being a God who wastes nothing, a God of, of depth and complexity a God who we can never plumb the depths of, your, of your, all your layers, Lord, and all your understanding and all your purposes. But we thank you that you give us glimpses and you give us little hints about the ways that you are working and have been working and will be working. Help us, Lord God, to be willing and joyful participants in your plan of salvation. Help us, Lord, to be proclaimers of your good news Help us to be seers of your good news as well. 
Give us eyes to see your work and your power among us, Lord. May we identify those things and share that with others, that they might also share the joy that we have in seeing you transform and redeem what is broken. Thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you do protect us from the waters of death and transform them into the waters of life. Help us to find our hope in you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.